Good morning, New Testament Baptist Church and guests. Thank you for joining us this Sunday morning, May the 17th. We're going to begin this morning by reading a passage of Scripture, and then we'll sing some hymns. So if you have your Bible and want to read along with me, Psalms chapter 80 is where I'll be reading this morning. Psalms chapter 80. The Bible says, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, thou that leadest Joseph like a flock, Thou that dwellest between the cherubims, shine forth. Before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh, stir up thy strength and come and save us. Turn us again, O God, and cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. O Lord God of hosts, how long wilt thou be angry against the prayer of thy people? Thou feedest them with the bread of tears, and givest them tears to drink in great measure. Thou makest us a strife unto our neighbors, and our enemies laugh among themselves. Turn us again, O God of hosts, and cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. Thou hast brought a vine out of Egypt, thou hast cast out the heathen and planted it. Thou preparedest room before it, and didst cause it to take deep root, and it filled the land. The hills were covered with the shadow of it, and the vows thereof were like the god goodly cedars. She sent out her boughs unto the sea, and her branches unto the river. Why hast thou then broken down her hedges, so that all they which pass by the way do pluck her? The boar out of the wood doth waste it, and the wild beast of the field doth devour it. Return, we beseech thee, O God of hosts, look down from heaven, and behold, and visit this vine." They perish at the rebuke of thy countenance. Let thy hand be upon the man of thy right hand, upon the son of man whom thou madest strong for thyself. So will not we go back from thee. Quicken us, and we will call upon thy name. Turn us again, O Lord God of hosts. Cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. Join me now as we pray together. Father, thank you for your great mercy and your great grace in our lives that we face, we're still able to open your word, uh, to glean knowledge from it and wisdom and understanding. And Lord, it is our prayer that exactly that happens this morning in the life of everyone uh, who is listening, and Lord, perhaps who will listen at a later time. May everyone within the sound of our voices uh, be able to glean from your word the truth that you'd have them to. I pray that you'd be with our pastor this morning, Lord, that you would speak through him, that you would strengthen him. Lord, I pray that you would hush the, uh, the atmosphere in which each and every person is listening this morning, that our attention would not be distracted from the truth that you have for us. We want, at the end of this broadcast today, to be able to say that we honored and glorified you in all that we said and did. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We're going to begin singing this morning, hymn number one. The, the song is, My Faith Has Found a Resting Place. And we will have the lyrics for you on the screen as well. So join us in singing at home, My Faith Has Found a Resting Place. My faith has found a resting place, not in device nor creed. I trust the ever-living one, his wounds for me shall plead. 
I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Enough for me that Jesus saves. This ends my fear and doubt. A sinful soul I come to him. He'll never cast me out. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. My heart is leaning on the word, the written word of God. Salvation by my Savior's name, salvation through his blood. I need no other argument, I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. My great physician heals the sick, the lost he came to save. For me his precious blood he shed, for me his life he gave. I need no other argument, I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Amen. There's great comfort in that truth that it is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Praise the Lord for that truth. Let's sing together now, Holy, 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 hymn number nine in our hymn books. Uh, and I think you know this one well, so join with us. Hymn number nine, Holy, Holy, Holy. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, early in the morning our song shall rise to Thee. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty, Blessed Trinity, holy, 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 all the saints adore thee, casting down their golden crowns around the glassy sea, cherubim and seraphim. Falling down before thee, which word and art and evermore shall be. Holy, 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 though the darkness hide thee, though the eye of sinful. Thy glory may not 
not see. Only Thou art holy, there is none beside Thee, perfect in power, in love and purity. Wonderful singing and wonderful song about our great God. Well, we're going to visit the mission field for just a moment, and we have a letter today from Ron and Jeannie Goodman, who serve the Lord in Mexico. They're one of our uh, latest missionaries that we've taken on, and uh, we appreciate uh, their steadfastness for many years uh, there in Mexico. Uh, Brothers uh, Goodman's wife, Jeannie, is Brother uh, Brian Thiessen's uh, sister. And uh, so we thank the Lord for their faithful ministry. Here's what they write. In March, the Lord allowed me to see three precious people accept him as Savior. A young teenager, a middle-aged man, and an elderly man, 84 years of age. Eric came to church sporadically for a couple years, but recently came faithfully with his dad. He has always believed that his good works would save him. After hearing the preaching week after week, he realized that would not work. At a Sunday afternoon fellowship in our home, he stepped into my study to talk about it. And after a short time, he asked the Lord Jesus to come into his heart. Sergio, a middle-aged repairman, came over to try to fix our washer. When he finished, I offered him some coffee and one of my wife's fresh pumpkin muffins, which he couldn't resist. I opened my Bible and shared the gospel with him, and he trusted Christ as his Savior. My 11-year-old son, Stephen, has some trouble with his feet, and he needed to have some special orthotics made. We were referred by the doctor to a shop where we could get them. It ended up being a family business of over 50 years. The grown sons now work in the shop upstairs, but the original owner, Reuben, now 84 years old, greets customers at the door downstairs. I gave him a track and talked to him when we went to place our order. Two weeks later, when I went to pick up the orthotics, he greeted me at the door. I did my business, then grabbed my Bible and sat down next to him. I asked him if he knew where he would go if he were to die. He did not know but was very glad to listen to what the Bible had to say. After hearing a careful explanation of the gospel, he asked Jesus Christ to save him. Wonderful. And then uh, I think you might remember that Brother Goodman told us that their son Daniel, I believe it's their oldest son, has been fighting cancer. And uh, the update is that he's doing well and has recovered from his surgery. He had two sets of blood tests recently, and tumor markers were at normal levels. That's great news. Unfortunately, it does not mean that this is all over for him. 
Uh, although they cannot detect any more cancer now, he has some slight, uh, some excuse me, some slight swelling in the lymph nodes in the area where the tumor was. The doctors believe that it's very important to be proactive due to the aggressiveness of the cancer. So he will be having a round of chemotherapy. This will happen during the first three weeks in May. Please pray that God will give him strength and healing. The doctor let Daniel know that if anything, if everything goes well, he's still looking at a couple of years of follow-up and surveillance. Daniel's trusting the Lord in all of this, and we are too. We're all thankful to the Lord for the way things have gone and that his prognosis has been positive. We know the Lord is good and has a purpose and plan in everything he allows into the lives of his children. Daniel is in good hands, his hands. Please keep praying. There are many different opinions about this current pandemic. Mexico is now in the exponential growth stage. There's much confusion here, with federal government reporting much lower numbers than the local governors. The healthcare system here is not at all prepared for a massive emergency. A lady in our church lost her 36-year-old nephew last week due to COVID at a crowded hospital in Mexico, a Mexico City. Many people here have not taken any precautions. Our state governor has now announced that the police will enforce a mandatory lockdown. We had anticipated this and put together food packets for our church family. We delivered them last week with instructions to use them only once they are needed. Our people were very thankful for the care. Many of them live day to day and now they cannot work. Also, food prices are up about 30%. We know that God will care for all his children, but we get to be his instruments in this hour. I will not pretend to understand. Uh, I will not pretend to understand all that's going on right now in this world, but I know God is working in all of it. This is a time of great opportunity, and the situation requires ingenuity. Most of our people have been able to listen to me preach online through YouTube and Instagram. We're staying in touch through WhatsApp groups and phone calls. We've been distributing tracts to our contacts via social media. On Easter, I preached a kind and clear gospel message from my rooftop with a big speaker. Our whole neighborhood now knows that Jesus is alive and that he alone can save. The Lord put it in my heart to do that. So I continue to pray the Lord will use what was preached that day. I don't know what all the neighbors thought, but I know they heard the gospel. Several of our church people came and parked on the street below to listen and support the effort. I wish I had thought to take pictures, but at the time I didn't. And there is one photo in the letter here that shows when they were setting up uh, for the service. And then one more thing about property. Uh, I told you in our last report that we were looking at, a, at different properties. We tried to negotiate the purchase of two 10 by 20 lots. We hoped to buy the first lot outright and negotiate payments for the second. There was some difficulty in obtaining the second lot because it belongs to a different family member who has different ideas. We were praying and giving God time to work it out if it were his will. Then the COVID-19 situation put everything on hold. We now have enough to buy one lot, but are still praying that the money will come in for the second. Because of the world situation, the peso value has fallen by about 
This makes the U.S. and Canadian donations worth a lot more in pesos. I have taken advantage to withdraw money while the exchange rate is in our favor. That will end up helping us in the purchase of a property when the Lord opens the right door. So that's our news from the Goodman family serving the Lord in Mexico. Let's just take a moment to pray for them, shall we? Father, we thank you for Ron and Jeannie and for their children. We thank you for how you are using them to reach uh, the people of Mexico. Thankful for their faithfulness. Lord, we lift up Daniel to you and uh, thank you for what we've heard in uh, the successful removal of the tumor and it's seeming uh, that the cancer is abated for now. We pray for your blessing upon the chemotherapy. We pray that his faith would remain strong. And Lord, if it would please you, you'd just take away all traces of cancer from his body. That'd be a wonderful blessing. We rejoice uh, that Brother Ron has told us that three men of varying ages have now entered into the kingdom of God and are now your sons by faith in Jesus Christ. Thank you for that. And Father, we do pray that you'll work out the details regarding the building uh, that they need, the property that they need. We know that you do all things well. You know d directly and specifically their need, and you know all the dangers uh, that they may encounter in trying to meet that need. We just uh, commit them to you. Thank you again for them and for all of our missionary family. We lift them all up to you today and seek your wonderful provision, protection, and power upon their ministries. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, I was... Uh, uh, attending a Zoom conference meeting with pastors uh, this uh, week, early this week. And I saw my good friend, uh, John Jupp. He's an assistant pastor up at Victory Baptist Church in Peterborough, where his dad is the pastor. And uh, Brother Jupp and his uh, family love to sing and serve the Lord in song. And I had thought that someday we would invite them to come to New Testament and uh, provide some special music for us to be a blessing. And so uh, during the course of our Zoom conference, I chatted with him a little bit and asked him if he'd be willing to record a song for us. And it so happens that the Lord had given them a song that they had sung. And uh, so they sat down uh, this week and recorded this song, which is very appropriate for the time in which we live. I trust that you will enjoy it as Brother John Jupp and his family sings for us at this time. overcome with fear, but our faith in Christ should overcome that, and we're going to sing a song about our worry that ends when our faith begins. Just leave it there. He stays. 
Amen. Well, we're going to sing uh, again a song in preparation for the message. Uh, the title of our message this morning is going to be Turn the Tide, Lord, subtitled A Cry for Revival. And so while we are thinking on that and in preparation for that, let's sing together this wonderful hymn 386 in our hymn book, Revive Us Again. Praise Thee, O God, for the Son of Thy love, for Jesus who died and is now gone above. Hallelujah, Thine the glory. Hallelujah, Amen. Hallelujah, Thine the glory. Revive us again. We praise Thee, O God, for thy spirit of light who has shown us our savior and scattered our night hallelujah thine the glory hallelujah amen hallelujah thine the glory revive us again all glory and praise to the lamb that was slain who has borne all our sins and has cleansed every stain. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us again. Revive us again. Fill each heart with thy love. May each soul be rekindled with fire from above. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us again. All right, let me invite your attention this morning in the precious Word of God. 
to the book of Psalms and chapter number 80. We, we at the beginning of the service, had Pastor Tricky uh, read this psalm for us, and we're going to work our way through it. Psalm chapter 80. We said that the title of the message is Turn the Tide, Lord. Those words are not found in this text. We said that this is a cry for revival. And while the, uh, while the evidence of a cry is in the passage, uh, the word revival is not there. But I think you'll understand as we move along. About 108 years ago, 109 or 108 years ago, the largest moving man-made object in the world was a ship by the name of the Titanic. I think most of you are aware of the story of the Titanic and particularly of the sinking of the Titanic after it hit an iceberg in the Atlantic Ocean. The man who was the builder, and I believe even the owner of the Titanic, was asked one day by reporters just how safe is the Titanic. His answer included these words, Not even God can sink it. Wow. Talk about famous last words. Not even God can sink it. Some researchers from the Texas State University uh, were doing some research into the sinking of the Titanic and the atmospheric conditions at the time. And they said in their conclusion that the earth at that period of time had come unusually close to the sun and the moon uh, during the course of that winter season, enhancing both the sun and moon's gravitational pull on the ocean, which in turn produced record tides. Those record tides uh, refloated massive icebergs that would traditionally be stuck or grounded along the coastlines of Newfoundland and Labrador because of the rising of the tide. They were lifted from being uh, from their foundation or from the place where they would be grounded, and they were set adrift into what would be called the shipping lanes of the North Atlantic Ocean. That took place between December 1911 and February 1912, and I believe it was in January uh, that the Titanic was sunk. So, bottom line is that the changing of the tide had a dramatic effect. And what, what some would have thought unthinkable and never uh, would have expected would happen, happened at the changing of the tide. When we use the term, turn the tide, we're speaking of the idea of reversing the trend. We're speaking about changing a situation or people's opinions to the opposite to what they were before the reversal. When we talk about turning the tide, we're talking about causing a complete reversal of circumstances. So that what uh, used to be a win is now a loss, or what was a loss becomes a win. What, 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 uh, 
what was a time of prosperity becomes a time of poverty, or what was a time of poverty becomes a time of plenty and prosperity. So I, get, I guess you get the idea. A number of years ago, uh, a great uh, servant of God, a singer, wrote a song called Turn the Tide, Lord. And basically the burden of the song was about the United States of America, her home country. And Abigail Miller wrote that song uh, lamenting what was taking place. And in the song, she suggests that there has been a flood a flood, a rising tide, as it were, of wickedness in the land. And the plea of the song and those who sung it and those of us who responded to the message of the song, our plea, our prayer, our thought was, God, stem the tide, stop the tide, turn the tide. It seems there's a surge of wickedness going on in the land. And God, we're asking you if you would turn that aside. In the words of the song, when she spoke about stemming the flood of wickedness, she used the terms restore, revive, and bless. Restore, revive, and bless. If I were to suggest to you uh, what this text, Psalm chapter 80, is saying, is that the people of God are saying to God, please restore, please revive, and please return your blessing to our land. Begin with me in verse number one. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel. There's no doubt about who that is. God is the shepherd. Jehovah is the shepherd of his people Israel. Thou that leadest Joseph. Joseph is one of the grandsons of Abraham. He is one of God's people. And the term Joseph is often used in reference to all of God's people. O shepherd of Israel, thou that leadest Joseph like a flock, thou that dwellest between the cherubims, shine forth. So I want you to notice the cry is that God would give ear. In verse number two, before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh, those are three of the sons of Israel, sons of Jacob, uh, Joseph's brethren, uh, and God is uh, being asked uh, to work on behalf again of his people Israel. So this is not the world uh, asking God to give ear, but this is the people of God, chosen of God, blessed of God, asking God to give ear. And then in verse 2, the cry goes on, stir up thy strength and come and save us. The idea of stirring up is to awaken, uh, to bring to life. So, oh, give ear, O oh God, hear our cry, stir up thy strength, come and save us. Now, what kind of a situation were they facing? What is the tide that they were asking to be turned in their life? Well, let's read in verse 4. O oh Lord God of hosts, how long wilt thou be angry against the prayer of thy people? It is possible that God would be angry with the prayer of his people if it is a hypocritical prayer, if it's an insincere prayer, uh, if it's a prayer that's just a form or a formula. But I want to suggest to you that something more is here. The prayer of the people was for God's 
blessing, for God's return, for God's turning of the tide. And yet, against their prayer, God remained angry. So in other words, uh, how long wilt thou be angry against the prayer of thy people uh, in spite of the prayer of thy people, uh, as if you don't hear the prayer of your people? And uh, I noticed those two words that just a few weeks ago, we preached a message on the subject, the question on everybody's lips or the question on everybody's mind, how long? And the people were asking how long, but we noted in Scripture that God was also asking how long. So what is the evidence that would suggest to God's people that he is angry? Look at verse 5. Thou feedest them with the bread of tears, and givest them tears to drink in great measure. Thou makest us a strife unto our neighbors, and our enemies laugh among themselves. Verse 8, Thou hast brought a vine out of Egypt. Thou hast cast out the heathen and planted it. So let me just, uh, if you're not uh, picking up on the thought here, the vine is the people who are speaking. Israel. Uh, God's chosen people, uh, the people that Joseph uh, was responsible for uh, in Egypt. God brought them out of Egypt and planted them in the promised land or in Canaan. Before God planted them, he cast out the heathen. And notice what God had done for them. Verse number nine, thou preparedst room before it and didst cause it to take deep root and it filled the land. The hills were covered with the shadow of it, and the boughs thereof were like the goodly cedars. She sent her boughs into the sea, and her branches unto the river. Why hast thou then broken down her hedges, so that all they which pass by the way do pluck her? The boar out of the wood doth waste it. And the wild beast of the field doth devour it. Look at verse 15. And the vineyard which thy right hand hath planted, and the branch that thou madest strong for thyself, it is burned with fire. It is cut down. They perish at the rebuke of thy countenance. Wow. The idea here is that, that they are in serious trouble. But in the midst of their trouble, isn't it interesting that they are owning up to the truth that whatever they had become, whatever they had enjoyed, came from God's gracious hand. Did you catch that? He said, they said to God, you're our shepherd. You lead us like a flock. And then they described what they knew about their history. You brought us out of Egypt, and you planted us in Canaan, and you prepared room and did cause us as your vine to take root, and we were blessed. We filled the land, and the hills were covered with the shadow of this vine, or with the shadow of our nation and your seed, and and everything was good and beautiful and wonderful and prosperous. 
Why then, here's the question in verse 12, hast thou broken down her hedges? And in verse number 16, not only has her, have her hedges been broken down, but they've been burned with fire, broken and burned, and have become the scorn or the laughingstock of their neighbors. So we see here a terrible situation in which the children of Israel find themselves, and they're asking God to give ear. Now, before we go any further, let me talk to you about this statement, give ear. If, you're, if you are uh, understanding as I understand, this is a cry unto God. Hence, I call it a cry for revival, a cry uh, that God would turn the tide in the land. I want you to notice with me the very first place in Scripture we find these words, give ear, for it's very instructive. Go with me to Genesis and chapter number 15. Genesis chapter number 15. In the passage before us, um, God is having a conversation uh, with uh, his... Uh, actually, I think I'm in the wrong spot. I believe I wanted Exodus chapter 15. So let's turn there. Exodus chapter 15. And that is not the spot I'm looking for either. I don't know what I have done here. Just give me a second and let me look back. I really wanted you to read this passage of Scripture and see it. Um, well, I don't find it at the moment. But uh, go with me. There's another illustration of the same principle in Deuteronomy chapter number 1. So go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 1. I apologize. I somehow have written down the reference wrong, and I don't know how to figure that out while I'm in front of the camera, and I don't want to waste your time. So Deuteronomy chapter 1, the same principle. And look with me at verse number 42. And the Lord said unto me, Say unto them, Go not up, neither fight. For I am not among you, lest you be smitten before your enemies. So just to set the stage, uh, this is a rehearsal or a review or a remembrance of what had happened when the children of Israel came into the land of Canaan, and God was planting this, his vine in the land. And the Lord had spoken to them and said, Don't go up, neither fight, I'm not among you, lest you be smitten before your enemies. Verse 43, So I spake unto you, and ye, watch these next three words, would not hear, but rebelled against the commandment of the Lord and went presumptuously up into the hill. And the Amorites, which dwelt in that mountain, came out against you and chased you as bees do and destroyed you in Seir, even unto Hormah. And you returned and wept before the Lord. But the Lord would not hearken to your voice, nor, notice the next two words, give ear unto you. God did not give ear to them. They were weeping. They were crying out to him, but he would not hearken, would not give ear. You know what to give ear means? To pay attention. 
I can be in a room and, uh, and can be hearing the voice of my wife and not giving ear to my wife, which means, simply put, that I'm not paying attention. I'm hearing the sound of her voice, but it's not registering. Teachers who teach students in a classroom often face the same situation. The children are sitting there, may even be looking at them, or are at least in the room, and they're hearing the teacher. And so all of a sudden, the teacher decides to ask a question, and she calls on Johnny, or she calls on Linda, and she says, uh, "What? Uh, tell, share with the class what we just said, or, or uh, who is so-and-so? And she just reviewed it, just went over it, and they, they don't know. They, they were there, they heard it, but they weren't paying attention. And so God says, uh, God always hears our cry. But God didn't give ear to it. God didn't pay attention to it. God, God didn't give heed to it. Why? Well, notice it was because they would not hearken to him. God had said to them, don't go up. Don't, don't, don't take this battle. I'm not among you. This is not the right time. This is not the right place. But would they give ear to him? No, because they would not give ear to him and his voice. Then they suffered, and he now, when he hears their voice, does not give ear to them. The same truth is back in the book of Genesis that I was trying to find for you there. So let me ask a question. What is the evidence that I have given ear to God? Or what is the evidence that God has given ear to me? The answer, of course, is action. Action, or we could use the term obedience, although it would seem odd to us to suggest that God giving ear to us would be to obey us. But wait a minute, if I'm crying out to God and I'm praying and I'm making a request and God fulfills that or does it, it's, it's, it's the same thing as our concept or idea of obedience. But nonetheless, God does not take action for His people because he wasn't giving ear to them. When he gives ear to his people, then he takes action. And it's clearly illustrated here that the children of Israel did not give ear to him, and that means they did not obey him. They disobeyed him. Folks, it's very, very important that we continue to, to comprehend this concept. We're all the time saying to God, how long, how long? And God turns around and looks at us and said, how long? So you want to know how long it will be before I act, before, uh, before I lift your suffering? How long will it be before you walk before me with a perfect heart? We cry out to God, give ear unto me. And God says, give ear unto me. And when you and I will give ear unto God, then God will give ear unto us. So important uh, that we get that principle and concept. So now, if you're understanding what we've read here in Psalm chapter 80, you would think that the cry, when they ask God to give ear, and they say, arise, or stir up thy strength, come and save us, what do you think they're asking God to do? Well, our immediate thought is that they're asking God to turn their circumstances around. The circumstances of their life right now were not pleasant. They were not what they had hoped they would be, and they were not what they once were. And so they're asking God uh, to turn around their circumstances, to turn away His anger uh, at their prayers. 
uh, to stop this steady diet of tears uh, that they're on, uh, to stop their enemies from mocking them, and so forth. But you must notice with me some verses that I deliberately skipped over earlier. Let's look at them again. As they're crying out to God and saying, give ear, notice their cry in verse number three. Turn us again, O God, and cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. Did you notice the exact same truth in verse 7? So close to the beginning of their cry and in the midst of their cry, look at verse 7, Turn us again, O God of hosts, and cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. Remember, they asked God to stir up his strength and come and save them in verse 2. And then in verse 3 and 7, they say, We shall be saved when you turn us again and cause thy face to shine. And at the very end of their cry, at the very end of this psalm, verse number 19, Turn us again, O Lord, God of hosts, cause thy face to shine and we shall be saved. My dear friend, may I be so bold as to suggest to you today that the best turn is not that of circumstances, but that of character. What the children of Israel needed was a change of character, a change of countenance, and, and so that God could change their circumstances. I will also be bold to tell you that when the people of God turn, there will be a turn in their condition and circumstances. I want to read to you a verse from Lamentations chapter number 5, the little book right after uh, Jeremiah, Lamentations uh, chapter 5, and I'm going to read to you verse number 21. Turn thou unto us, or, yes, turn thou us unto thee. So here in Lamentations where uh, the prophet Jeremiah is lamenting the judgment of God upon his people and upon the city of Jerusalem for their idolatry and for their wickedness, uh, he says, turn thou us. Same thing that Psalm 80, turn us. Turn thou us unto thee, O Lord, and we shall be turned. Renew our days as of old. So do you want the days in your life to go back to what they were when God first took you out of Egypt and when God first planted you in a new life and first placed you in his family, dear child of God, then you need to pray that God would turn you unto him. For when you turn unto him, then the days of old will return unto you. It is not a turning of the tide of wickedness that comes against us, but the turning of the tide of our indifference to God and our turning away from Him. I want you to think of the word tide for a moment as an acrostic, T-I-D-E. And I'm suggesting to you that the children of Israel, the sons of Joseph, and these identified in verse number two as Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh, there was in their life a trend of increasing 
departure from the eternal, T-I-D-E, trend of increasing departure from the eternal. All through the Old Testament, we see the tendency or the trend of the people of God who have owed their existence to God, who've been blessed of God, being drawn away from God. You've heard the old expression, uh, uh, you can't pull the wool over his eyes. Well, what has happened to God's people oftentimes is that somebody has pulled the world over our eyes. And all we can see is the world, and we, we forget our Maker, and we forget uh, God's grace, and we forget God's mercy, and, and we go away from Him. That's the tide that needs to be turned. How about this, T-I-D-E? The trend of increasing devotion to empty things. The tide of increasing devotion to empty things. Jeremiah talks about how uh, God was grieved because his people turned from him, the living God, and, and made to themselves a broken or took to themselves broken vessels, which could hold no water. He's the fountain of living water. And the trend or the tendency is to increasingly become devoted or delighted with empty things. Do you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit at all this morning in your life? I sure do. Sometimes the people of God are experiencing circumstances that cause them to cry out to God for a change of their circumstances without realizing that the greatest need is for a change in our character, a change in our approach to God. For God is good, and God longs to bless His people, and God longs to prosper His people, but He cannot because of our disobedience. You need to understand this morning that the God of the Bible, the God of Joseph, and the God of Jacob, and the God of the church is a God who delights in blessing. When you first meet God in the page of Scripture, He fills the earth with beauty and goodness and fruit and food and and plenty, and he creates all of that, and then he makes a man and a woman and puts them in the middle of all of that. It's his desire to bless. But because we sin against him, because we turn away from the one whose heart's desire is to bless us, we begin to experience his judgment. He's not punishing us. He's not condemning us. He is simply judging us for our sin. He is unable to continue the hand of blessing. He told us before the judgment began, if you go this way, if you turn your back on me, this is what's going to happen. And so we see a people who desperately want revival. They want a turning of the tide, but they're wise enough to understand that it begins in their heart. Turn us again, O God. How does God do that? How does he turn us? If we're asking God to turn us, how does he do it? Well, in all three verses, verse 3, verse 7, and verse 19, there's a phrase in the middle of that verse, cause thy face to shine. Cause thy face to shine. Let me ask you a question. Is there ever a moment in time when the Shekinah glory, the glory of God, which is like no other glory, the glory of God, which makes it impossible for man to look upon him and live. Is there ever a moment when his glory is not shining? 
will answer this question. Has there ever been a moment in, the, in your lifetime or in, your, in the known history of the world when the sun has not shined? There may have been times when God darkened the sky and hid the sun, but the sun has always been shining in its strength. And God's face is always shining. So the, the cry is, cause thy face to shine. How do you cause someone's face to shine? Well, if his face is always shining and cannot be made to shine, then the answer must be you need to be in the right position for his face to shine upon you. I remember, of course, and so do you in Isaiah chapter 59 and verse number two, God says to his people, your sins have hid my face from you, Isaiah 59 and verse 2. My sins, or here's how it actually is said by the prophet to the people, your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. He's not giving ear. Why? Because his face is hid from you. Why? Because of your sins. You remember what happened in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned against God? They hid themselves. Was God still as brilliant and as beautiful and as winsome and as loving and as gracious as he was before they sinned against him? Absolutely. Could they see him? Did they have fellowship with him? No. Why? Because their sins made them ashamed and they withdrew from him. They hid themselves from him. And it's our sin that blots out or blocks uh, the uh, face of God. We don't see him in his beauty uh, when we live willingly in sin. Oh, I hope you'll get this. God's face does not shine upon us because of our sin. If you'll go back and look at verse 16, and in describing their plight, it is burned with fire. It is cut down. Watch, they perish. The situation is because of the rebuke of thy countenance. God is not looking upon you with favor. God's face is not shining. He has hid his face from you because of your sin. So if God is going to cause his face to shine on us again, if he's going to, in the words of the text, cause his face to shine among us again, then it must be when we are willing to turn from our sin. Oh, I hope you'll get this. The enormity of our sin is never seen in the describing of our acts. It's the enormity of your sin and mine is not found in examination of the exact deeds which we have done or not done. There are multitudes of people to whom we could point who the record of their transgressions of the law of God it, to us is far more vile, far more willful, far more deliberate, far more, uh, more guilt-inspiring than ours. But you know, if you go back to Isaiah chapter 59, here are the things that God lists as the sins that hid his face from them. Your hands are defiled with blood, your fingers with iniquity, your lips have spoken lies, deceitfulness, lying. Your tongue has uttered perverseness. None calleth for justice, none pleadeth for the truth. How about those two things that should be characteristic of the people of God? You trust in vanity, empty things, conceive mischief, bring forth iniquity, feet that run to evil, thoughts are of iniquity. 
wasting and destruction in their paths. Know not the way of peace. No judgment in their goings. And in verse number 12 of Isaiah 59, after listing all of those things and others, here's what the scripture says. Your transgressions are multiplied before God. In other words, your sins testify against us. Here, here folks, this is, the simple, this is the simple bottom line. We're not giving ear to God. God says, thou shalt, and God says, thou shalt not. And there was a day when God first pulled us out of the world, and he redeemed us from our sin, and told us about the life of blessing he had for us. And he took us there and began to demonstrate his kindness and begin to heal our homes and begin to heal our emotion and deliver us from our addictions. And we were enjoying all of that, but we soon forgot his works. And we soon began to be enamored with the things of the world around us, began to be absorbed with our privileges as his children. And we began to look to him less and less. And we began to hear his voice less and less. And the things that he said don't do, we, because we are his children, eternally secure. Eh, it's really not that big of an issue. God knows my heart. And so we leave undone the things he's commanded us. And we do the things uh, that he has commanded against. Lord, if you went back to Proverbs chapter 6, we have a list of six things, yea, seven, that God hates and are an abomination to him. And one of them is a lying tongue. A tongue that is swift to spread, or feet to be swift to shed mischief, uh, to shed blood. And a tongue that speaketh against its neighbor. In other words, it's not uh, the gross sins like murder that are listed there and adultery and, and, and etc. It is, it is things that you and I are guilty of. Oh, I hope you're understanding what I'm saying. God can turn the tide. God has turned the tide. You'll notice again that verse number 3 says, Turn us again, O God. And three times they use that phrase again. In other words, they're confessing to the fact that where they are now, they've been before. That where they are now is a situation that they had to recover from before. And God, in His mercy, heard their cry, gave ear to them, and changed them. And now they're in the same situation again. Oh, that's the story of the life of a sinner. Why is God's face not shining unto me? Because my sins have hid his face from me. Some years ago, I was preaching at a youth conference and it got impressed upon my heart to make this statement to the young people. And I'll make it to you today. Sin is not so much in the breaking, uh, sin's awfulness is not so much in the breaking of God's law, but rather in the breaking of God's heart. It's the breaking of God's heart. It's, it's treating our good and gracious creator God, who's our shepherd, our guide, our provider, our strength, our shield, our hope, the God who is good to all his works. It's, it's our insulting him by turning away from him, by not listening to his voice, uh, by challenging his authority. Turn us again. Turn us Again, O God, and cause thy face to shine. 
Where are you this morning, dear child of God? Are you burdened about the situation in your land? Are you burdened about the situation in your life, burdened about the situation of your home? Oh, I'm delighted to read in Psalm chapter 80 that someone understood that things are not the way they're supposed to be. Things are not the way they used to be. Things are not the way God intended for them to be. And so they're crying out to God and they're asking God to pay attention for God to to rise up in strength and show his strength and save them. But in doing so, recognizing that what they need is the face of God to shine upon them again. Can I suggest something to you? When you turn your back on God, you cannot see his face. A very simple illustration. I'm looking at a camera right now, and I'm speaking to you in faith that you're out there. And so I can see the camera, and by faith I see you. But I'm going to do something. I'm going to turn my back on the camera and turn my back on you. So when I turn my back on the camera and turn my back on you, now I see in front of me a wall. And I see a cross attached to that wall. But I no longer see the camera. The camera is still there. And the camera will still respond to me. But it's not responding to my face because I've turned my face away from the camera. Now when I turn my face back toward the camera, then the camera answers to my face. And here's what needs to happen in Canada today. Here's what needs to happen in the church today. Here's what needs to happen in the life of every individual child of God today. If we would see God intervene and turn the tide, if we really want revival, we must recognize it begins with us. And we need God's face to shine upon us. Hey, Let me ask you a question. How often this week did you have this book open? How often did you stare into the pages of God's autobiography? How often did you peruse with interest and delight and desire uh, the pictures that God has painted of himself and his goodness and his glory and his majesty and his power and his might? How often did you do that this week? How often did you do it last week? How often have you done it in the past year? Is it any wonder that the tide is turning against us? Is it any wonder that the circumstances of our lives seem as if God has hid his face from us? It's because we've hid our face from him. Oh, that God would stir our hearts to love his word, to treasure his word, to desire to see his face. Someone said one time this statement, and it's very true. Those who want nothing but God fear nothing but sin. It's worth saying again, I don't, I don't know who to give credit for that statement, but I have to believe all of my heart wholeheartedly I agree. Those who want nothing but God, do you really want God? Do you really, are you really honestly from the depths of your heart crying out, give ear, oh God, give ear, how long? Do you fear sin? Because it's sin that hides his face from us. And if his face would shine to us again, that which hides his face from us must be turned away from, must be confessed, must be forsaken. I'm going to give you an acrostic again for the word cry. I suggested this is a cry for revival. Well, we don't see the word cry here. Uh, I want to give you the word cry as an acrostic. 
A cry is, first of all, confession. Confession. Look at verse 16 again. They perish, why? At the rebuke of thy countenance. In verse 18, it suggests that they knew that they had gone back away from God. So, God, if you do this, if you hear our cry, if you, if you give ear, so will not we go back from thee. We've done this before. We're asking you to turn us again. But they're confessing that they need to see his face. And they're crying out and asking for it and confessing it was their sin that put them in this situation. So our cry to God begins with the confession of our sin. Secondly, our, uh, it continues with repentance over our sin. Genuine sorrow. It's understanding that we are God's vine. He took us out of Egypt. He took us out of the world, out of the bondage of Satan. And he established us in a good land. And that land is a picture of the land which yet is ours to possess. It's called heaven, the place of abundance and delight and blessedness. That's what God did for us. And, and revival and, and the cry for revival is, is the heartbeat of the Christian saying, God, I've sinned and I'm sorry I realize that my disobedience, my shutting off my ear to you and saying, no, I'm not going to listen. It, when we do that, it breaks your heart. That breaks God's heart. He often in Scripture says, what argument do you have against me? What fault do you find with me? Confession, repentance, turning away from sin, recognizing that even though it doesn't seem serious to us, and even though in light of the sins of the world around us, it doesn't seem significant, we understand that any sin hides his face from us and separates. So we turn from that sin. And why, C-R-Y, confession, repentance, and why is yieldedness, submission, surrender. Verse 18, so will not we go back from thee, quicken us, and we will call upon thy name. Oh, listen, are you crying out to God? Is there confession of sin? Is there repentance over sin toward God and a yieldedness to be obedient to God and a pursuit of godliness? I assure you that if you do that, if you turn again to him, then God will turn the tide in your life. God will turn the tide in our land. Oh, do we ever need it. I must say one thing before I close. Go back with me now to verse number 17. The answer is in a man. Notice, let thy hand be upon the man of thy right hand. I don't have time to develop this, but if you were to study that term out, the man of God's right hand is the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ, exalted Son of God, sits at the right hand of God making intercession. It's Him. And so uh, the psalmist, by prophetic utterance, says, let thy hand be upon the man of thy right hand, upon the Son of Man. There's another title or name given to the Lord Jesus, uh, the eternal Son of God who walked among us in flesh. He was called not only the Son of God, but the Son of Man. Let thy hand be upon the man of thy right hand, upon the Son of Man, whom thou madest strong for thyself. 
The answer is in Jesus. And the reason God had raised up Israel, the reason God took them out of Egypt, it was a fulfillment of a promise that he made. But what was he doing with this people to whom he made the promise? He was bringing them out and establishing them that through them would come his son, born into this world, born of a woman, of the seed of Abraham, and in the, in the, in the, as the seed of David, the branch of David, would come and be the Savior and the Redeemer of mankind. Our hope is found in the Lord Jesus. There is no other name whereby we might be saved. At the end of verse 15, we have this statement, Thou madest strong for thyself. At the end of verse 17, Thou madest strong for thyself. In the first case, it's talking about his vineyard. The vineyard which thy right hand hath planted. Why did God do what he did in the life of Israel? For himself. What God did in, in blessing them and strengthening them was for his glory. But they turned aside from that and they forgot his glory and they turned their back on him and began to live as though it didn't matter. And they forgot him. Notice in verse number 17, speaking of the one to whom they're looking uh, for God to make strong again, this man, if it be Jesus, whom thou needest, or excuse me, whom thou madest strong for thyself. Jesus, before he ended his earthly ministry in prayer in John chapter 17, says, Father, I have glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work which you gave me to do. What Jesus did was for God, and what Jesus came to do was for God. And God did everything he did in the life of Jesus for his glory. And he wants to do the same in Israel, and he wants to do the same in the church. He wants to do the same in your life and mine. He makes us strong, not for our glory, but for his glory. And when his glory remains the most important thing in our life, when he is more important to us than any other thing, then we will fear nothing but sin, because it is sin and only sin that separates the shining of his face toward us. Turn the tide, Lord. Give ear. I'm crying for revival. Give ear, Lord. Turn us. And let's make it personal. Turn me again. Cause thy face to shine. And I shall be saved. Three times. Would you pray that prayer with me? Christian, God is speaking in this day. In this age and through these circumstances, God is calling us to repentance. God's saying, I can turn the tide. But what I'm really interested in is turning you. And if your face is toward me, you will enjoy the warmth of my blessing and my love and my mercies. Confess your sin. Turn from your sin. Yield everything to me. Father in heaven, thank you for giving me this opportunity this morning to preach uh, thy precious word from this pulpit. And Father, I can't see the listener, but I pray that your Holy Spirit 
will apply the truths of this passage to the lives of moms and dads and boys and girls and aunts and uncles and grandpas and grandmas. Father, I pray that those who are listening who do not have a personal relationship with you, such as Joseph and Manasseh and Ephraim and those mentioned in the passage, uh, the, the people of God, uh, they don't know that. They've never, they've never established a relationship with you as their Redeemer. And Father, they're not saved. They don't know Jesus Christ. I pray that this morning you would draw them by your Holy Spirit to the cross. You would let them know that you so loved them that you sent a redeemer for their sin. You sent someone to pay the penalty for their sin. And I pray you draw them today to cry out to you, confessing their sin and asking you to give ear to them as a sinner, to repent of their sin, to yield their life to you and to allow you to transform them and change them by a new birth through faith in Jesus Christ. Help your people today, Father, to know that revival is always possible. Revival is only a prayer away. Revival is not a matter of our, our just praying, but it's a matter of our seeing your face. And the more we see your face in all of its glory, the more we love you and the more we want to serve you and obey you. But when we sin willfully against you, you hide your face. And may your people today forsake their secret sin, their carelessness in Christianity, their callousness, their closeness to your voice. For Lord, surely when we give ear unto you, we may be confident that you will give ear unto us. Do that which only you can do in all of our hearts, I pray in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Well, I want to thank you for joining us this morning. If the Word of God has spoken to you, if the Spirit of God has touched your heart and life in some way, I would be happy, more than happy, to answer a phone call or to receive an email and and uh, answer your questions and encourage you and talk to you. Uh, dear children of God, members of New Testament Baptist Church, I feel it's my responsibility to the pastor to continue to warn you and to challenge you to live for God and to, and, and, and to know that revival is only hindered by you and my, uh, by our refusal to turn from our sin so that the face of God, which is always shining, might shine upon us. Lord, I, 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 I just pray that you and I will We'll have that cry in our heart, Lord, turn me from my sin. If I can help you in any way, please don't hesitate to ask. At the close of the service, I believe there will be some information on the screen that will uh, give you uh, the means to contact us and, uh, and let us know that you have a need. Uh, there's a couple things I want to mention. First of all, our missions giving. We are, uh, this is our third Sunday of our missions year. It always begins with the first Sunday in May. And we finished our last missions year wonderfully. And here's where we are with our faith promise giving at the moment. Uh, we are just a little bit short of our promise uh, to date. Uh, I think, what, about $800 there? Uh, short. Uh, and so uh, we praise the Lord for the provision he's given where all of our missionaries are receiving their support. And uh, you should be receiving an email from me this week about uh, taking on another missionary for support. We'd love to hear from you about that. So please note that. Also, I want to remind you about the uh, Atwell Center. 
they uh, have their Formula for Hope campaign, and, and normally we have a baby bottle that we bring uh, that we have, and we during the month of May, uh, between the time of Mother's Day and Father's Day, uh, we're filling it with coins and bills and so forth to try to be a blessing. I think their goal is something like fifty thousand, and I think I heard this week there are about five thousand so far. And this is a virtual campaign, so go to the website there, Formula for Hope, uh, the Atwell Center, and uh, and I encourage you to, to be a part of that as you have in the past and uh, pray for this campaign and pray that God will provide uh, the needs of this wonderful organization that's helping young couple and young people who are facing unwanted pregnancies. And then one more thing, uh, Pastor David Webster from the... Uh, <clears throat> Prince Albert Baptist Church out in Prince Albert, Saskatchewan, uh, is wanting to have a Canadian revival conference uh, for his church. And so he set that up. He's invited several preachers uh, to preach. It will begin next Sunday, May the 24th, and will continue through Wednesday the 27th. You see the poster there on your screen. And um, the times... Uh, are basically set for his people, which is, I think, Central Standard Time. And so it's two hours uh, past our time. So, uh, for example, the Sunday morning service is going to be a live stream at 11 o'clock, but uh, that would be 1 o'clock our time. So assuming we're out of church by 1 o'clock next Sunday, uh, you could uh, tune in live stream. And then the evening service, Sunday through Wednesday, will be live streamed our time, 9 o'clock, 7 o'clock their time, 9 o'clock our time. And there will be two preachers uh, each of the weekday evenings, one preacher, I believe, on Sunday evening. And uh, Dr. Pennell will be involved in that, Dr. Rick Flanders, Brother Webster, uh, Brother Mike Sullivan, uh, Brother Ryan King, Ben Turner, Guillaume Waugh, and I've been asked to preach a message. And so I ask you to to uh, consider that, I will send you again the information this week and encourage you. We are going to try to see if we can't broadcast it uh, through our web page or live, our live stream. So you can just log into us. You don't have to find them. But we'll see how that all works out. And the goal, the heartbeat of Brother Webster is to stir the people of his church and the saints across the country through an online revival conference of uh, servants of God uh, to revival uh, for the sake of our land. And so I trust that you'll give heed to that. Well, again, thank you for joining us today. May the Lord bless you, give you a wonderful afternoon. And if you uh, are able to join us, we'll be back again tonight uh, at five o'clock for the evening service. God bless. Have a great day.